Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emilio Despirito, and this is your show all about real estate. We're talking about the ins and the outs, what to do, what not to do. And we're interviewing some of the top experts in our marketplace, not only here locally, but also nationally and internationally. So we've got a great show for you today. A ton of content. Uh, later on in the show, we've got Speaker Sakarchi coming on, talking about what he is doing um, and what the state is doing to push uh, you know, more more new builds. They want to push more housing inventory in the state. So what they have going on behind the scenes, super important for you to stay tuned in to hear that. Uh, right now, we've got uh, one of my favorite guests, and that's Paul Salcone with North Point Bank. Paul is one of the top loan originators in this entire marketplace and has the ability to write loans in all 50 states, okay? He packs a, a punch of power with his knowledge, with his execution, and making sure things go smoothly. So Paul is top-notch. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mary, for having me again today. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Always, always good. So today we're talking about portfolio mortgage options and uh, what clients would benefit from, like what clients would benefit from these programs. Um, first off, Paul, can you explain what a portfolio option is in regards to a home mortgage? Absolutely, Amelia. So a portfolio loan essentially is is a loan that a, a lender or a bank or a broker, they they internally keep this loan. It's something that they draw up themselves, the guidelines, the, you know, the rules, regulations. It's not a traditional loan like a conventional or an FHA where the government determines the, you know, the debt to income ratio, the minimum credit score requirements. We essentially look at different options in the marketplace and, you know, what, what you know, clients would be best served for these programs. And we find out, okay, what would make sense for this particular, um, you know, individual? How can we get them a loan? And, and that's what portfolio is. It's a way to, you know, make everyone have a chance to get a home and, and look at different scenarios here to, to get you to the finish line. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's not your typical, like you said, FHA, three and a half percent down VA type of loan. This is this is something unique to that bank. And they have much more flexibility when it comes to those borrowers, because it's not always one size fits all. Right, Paul? You're absolutely right there. I mean, there's many different um, you know, many different individuals I work with and not everyone, you know, checks every box. And not not this doesn't mean they're not credit worthy, you know, they're not worthy of getting a mortgage. It just means, you know, maybe they're their situation's different. They're self-employed borrowers, for example, who maybe, you know, their tax returns don't reflect their true income. There are certain things we can add back, or maybe there's rental properties where, you know, we can look at the one individual property versus looking at the whole picture and qualifying them on that. So it's just different avenues to take. Can you give us a story of, say, a, a client? Obviously, we won't, we won't use their real names. We won't use anything like that. But do you have any kind of story that you could share about a situation where they maybe got denied somewhere else and they came into North Point and worked with you and they're able to secure a home? Absolutely. So let's just say our client's name is John. And, you know, John is uh, in the Boston market and he's looking for an investment property, let's say a three unit property. And, and John goes to his local credit union or bank, nothing against them. And all of a sudden they they try a conventional loan and they look at his tax returns and you know W-2s, pay stubs, and say, you know what, based on the situation, unfortunately, the ratios do not work. You don't qualify for this investment property. Well, you know what? I speak to John. Hey, John, let me ask you a question here. This particular property you're interested in. And number one, how much are you putting down? Well, I'm putting down 25%. Okay, that, that's very common. How is your credit? Oh, let's say it's, you know, high sixes. Okay, so high six hundred credit score. Um, you know, this property, what is it going to generate for income each month, each floor? Okay, it's a three unit outside of Boston, South Shore. Um, I would say 2000 per unit, conservatively. All right, so you have a three unit property, you know, 2000 per unit, you're at 6000 a month. What is your mortgage going to be with taxes and insurance included? You know, maybe 4700 Okay, well, you know what? We have a program where 
as long as the fair market rent or the lease agreement's in place, as long as that income is more than the mortgage, you're approved, John. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Well, listen, this is a portfolio loan we have. It's called an investor cash flow. In this situation, I was able to help John and gut him into the house because it made sense to do. And that's a portfolio mm -hmm. loan kind of in, in a nutshell. Got it. Got it. And by the way, that was just an example. So if there's anybody listening in that Boston market, you know, those are the those prices are gone, right? You're, you're, <laughs> and if you're paying rent, you're probably paying a lot more than that. But of Paul, course, that was, of course. That was a fantastic example and that easy round numbers. I appreciate you doing that. Um, and that that's easy to see. So tell us about like other portfolio loans. Yeah, that absolutely. Successful. So that's one, the investor cash flow that, you know, again, that one's based solely on rental income versus what the mortgage will be. And I probably, I probably do uh, on the average about one of those a month in this market. I would say 10 to 12 a year. I do of those at least. But there's other programs they have that are more for, you know, let's say self-employed borrowers or more for, um, let's say, people who are close to retirement that have money, you know, locked up in a 401k or who knows, annuities. And let's just say the asset depletion program, very, very popular portfolio loan. What we do is we look at, say, someone who's close to retirement or is retired for that matter. And let's just say they have, uh, you know, throw round numbers out here. Let's say they have a half million dollars in their 401k. They worked their entire lives. They have that money. They're in their early 60s. They're looking now to buy their, you know, final home or downsize and you know, how are they going to qualify long-term? Okay. We look at their assets. We take whatever liquid assets they have, let it be, you know, retirement, you know, checking, savings, CDs, whatever it may be. And we have a number we use. It's 84. It's seven years, 12 times seven is 84. So we take that total amount they have in the account, divide by 84, and whatever that monthly number is, essentially that's income we can use. And in addition to what they get now for their social security pension. So we have a way to kind of like a hybrid loan. We can take their social security pension income plus their asset we can turn into cash for a uh, you know for income purposes and they'll help them qualify so that's called asset depletion and wow. that's a very popular loan that we have right now for some retirees um we're very close yeah and one other one i wanted to mention that i think is very um can be beneficial this is more for self-employed borrowers let's say um it's called a bank statement loan and we look at a 12 or 24 month history here of bank statements so let's just say hypothetically you owned a uh you know, let's say a convenience store or a liquor store or something where, you know, a cash business. And all of a sudden we look at your tax returns and, you know, we look at what's called Schedule C or even business returns if you're a bigger, you know, bigger company. And, okay, we see X and Y dollars on paper, but we realize, you know what, maybe there's more money here that we're not recognizing. So we'll look, okay, based on your profession, let's look at your last 12 months or 24 months bank statements. Let's see how much money you deposit each month cash. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like a cash flow. And we'll look at that number. And then there's a formula we use and determine, okay, based on the profession, what percent of that is actually profit versus, you know, cost, overhead, you know, materials, uh, supplies, whatever it may be. And we can take that cash and let's say it's 10000 a month. Okay, we can use 65% of that as income based on the profession. And that's another way. We'll take that now and use that in addition to what they show on paper. So there's ways we can get creative here to get loans approved. And that's called the bank statement program. Well, so, so with that... With yeah. that bank statement program, do you can do you uh, also include like the potential taxes they could be paying too? Do you take that out? Do you throw that out, or just leave? Yeah. So what we do is how we kind of come to this um, final figure is based on the profession. We kind of have a general idea of what profit margins are. Some you know some professions are a little more lucrative than others, but we'll look at okay if you're in a certain industry, let's say in general thirty percent of what you bring in each month that's your profit. That's your return. So the 70% we're taking out, that accounts for your taxes, that accounts for your um, labor, your overhead, all the expenses you would incur having the business. And that's kind of how we get that percentage. So that does factor everything in by the percent we use of the bank statement, you know, of the deposits each month. Got it. And we, 
So it's a formula we use based on profession. That's awesome. Good stuff, Paul. And now, you know, how tough are these things to qualify for? I mean, it sounds like this is obviously for the person that may not qualify for, you know, the everyday cookie cutter kind of thing. But like, really, like, what are what are like the closing ratios on here? Let's say you have 10 different borrowers going and I know this is kind of generalized, yeah, but of course, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, ratios, it's equivalent almost to conventional guidelines. I mean, basically, without going and making this too complex, the DTI is normally on a conventional loan is 50% back end, which means 50% of what you make can be all your expenses before taxes. This program, usually it's between 45 and 50. So it's very consistent with the same ratios that conventional require. Credit score, I mean, ideally, you want to be in the mid 600s. We can actually go in some of these programs as low as 620. So keep that in mind. But the more, the higher your credit score, obviously the better your rate and also the lesser down payment required. If you're at a lower credit score, we can still help you, but it might require say 20, 25%, even 30% down. But but someone who's well qualified can probably get away with you know, five to 10% down with some of these programs. So it just depends on the situation and we can you know determine that. And again, it, it's just an option out there. It's not always the best option, but for some people it's the only option. And at least it gives them something to fall back on and use in the short term with a goal of refinancing once, you know, things are, are straightened out on, on the finances or, or maybe look a little bit better on paper. Got it. Wow. That's a breath of fresh air probably for some of our listeners and some of our viewers, if they're watching on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, I mean, you know, think about it. I mean, we're, we're, it's hard enough and so many times to get approved for a home. If you're retired or you are a, a self-employed borrower, I can't tell you over the years how many people should have probably been qualified and couldn't purchase homes. So I think that's fantastic now that they have a resource and they can contact Paul, they can contact you on your cell phone, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Let me throw that out there in case any of our listeners or viewers want to give Paul a call. Go ahead. 401. It's 419-9291. Again, 401-419-9291. And uh, you can tell them about your situation. You know, everything's confidential with Paul. Um, obviously, you know, he's working on your behalf to help you get a home and we can go ahead and work as a team. You know, maybe you don't need to buy here. Maybe you need to buy somewhere else in Chicago or New York City or San Francisco. Well, you know, Paul and his team at North Point can help you there. And also at Angle Volkers, we've got locations in all of those marketplaces. So we can go ahead and connect you with a top-notch advisor in any of those. So you are getting that same uh, Rhode Island hospitality wherever you are, which is huge, right? Absolutely is. Yeah, that's good, Paul. And let me ask you something. How many of these loans do you do you do on on, on like a monthly basis? Or these kind of these are probably more infrequent than your typical. Oh, they're a little more infrequent. I would say as a whole, the portfolio and, and they call non-QM loans. I would say probably 20%, 25% of my overall loans that we close are the oh. in these buckets, especially in this market. You know, when things are a little bit unique and maybe uh income is a little, you know, challenging in certain markets. We, we find ways to make these come together. It wasn't as common, say, three, four years ago, but now I would say one out of four loans I do has a, uh, you know, the portfolio product. Well, that's fantastic. You know, lastly, before I let you go, Paul, it's super important. We're going into the tax season. We're going into people are doing their tax, um, you know, their 1040s. I don't want to call them tax returns because a lot of our listeners don't get returns, right? A lot right. of our listeners might be paying in or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, uh, 
do you think that if somebody's looking, if they're self-employed, they're looking to purchase a home, maybe the, there should or maybe might be some things that they should probably claim, whereas they can legally write them off. Don't get me wrong. They can write them off. But would it help maybe to claim certain things just so their income bracket is that much higher so they have a better chance of qualifying? For sure. I mean, I talk to people on a daily basis who maybe, you know, and I'm not by any means, I don't want to say I'm an accountant, but, you know, I understand tax rules. And I tell people like, listen, there are certain write-offs you have the right to to write off. Yes. But keep in mind, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to claim less income, pay less taxes, then also, you know, you're also not going to qualify for as much as you'd like. So you got to pick and choose, maybe get a happy medium, maybe look Mm -hmm. at where you're at last year versus this year and say, listen, I want to qualify in this bracket. I can give an idea of what they well, how much money they need to have in general to qualify for a loan of this amount. And then at that point, give them the, hey, listen, the final say, what you need to do and talk to your accountant. And I think that's great to claim a little bit more when you can. Fantastic. Great stuff. Paul Salcone with North Point Bank. Give him a shout. 401-419-9291. Paul, thanks so much for jumping on with us. Thank you, Emilio. Have a great day. Awesome. You too. Great segment. And this segment's been powered by North Point Bank. Be right back in a couple of moments. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. I'm Emilio Desperado, and this is your show all about real estate, where we bring on top uh, local and national and international talent professionals and, you know, anybody that's involved in the real estate, uh, you know, process, the ins and outs of it. And we've got a great guest for you in a second. But I do want to remind you, if you are tuned in and if this is your first time tuning in or you're a repeat listener, We've got a special guest um, as well after this segment. Speaker Joe Shikarchi is coming on talking about the inventory crisis here in Rhode Island and what the state house is looking to do and implement to increase development here in the Ocean State. Uh, Super important. Thanks for tuning in here. And we've got a fantastic guest, one of my favorite. We've got George Metz with GMATS Moving in Storage. And before George starts, I got to tell you, man, I've used him dozens and probably well over 150, 200 times with clients, whether they're moving local or nationally. He's fantastic. He and his team, they care. They do what they say they're going to do. They charge a fair price and they get the job done on time, which is super important with moving targets here in real estate. And that's why he's here and he's a moving specialist on this show. George, welcome back to the program. Emilio, thank you for having me, and uh, always thank you for that wonderful introduction today. That was that was great. Thank you. Oh man, I, I mean it, bro. I mean it. I don't just uh, refer anybody out to my clients. Yep. You're welcome. Thank you. So, George, some of our clients are moving on a budget, and they yep. may not have tens of thousands of dollars to get it done. So, you know, sometimes they think that they cannot contact the professionals to get it done, and they end up spending more. Right. Um, right. Let's talk about that today. So. Um, Budget and understanding what your move is going to entail. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, right? Moving a moving target, moving dates, dates change, closings change. So if you're a person that's worried about the budget and you're you're just saying, you know what, I'm physically able to still do the move, I could do it myself if needed. I always tell people to really think about that, right? If you're a business professional and you have to take a day or two out of work that that's planned to, to go to your closing, to do the moving. All right. You go rent a truck from the local 1-800 rental truck company. You're, you're looking at a couple hundred dollars per day to do that. Or more. yeah, Or, or more, depending on what size truck you get. And then how many days you actually need it. Because again, if you're not a professional, it might take you one day to load it or, or more. Um, 
And if you can't take multiple trips and you're not, you don't know how to load a truck, where is your time best spent working and making more money or hiring a professional that could do it in a timely manner and get the job done, less stress on your back, less stress on your mindset during, you know, moving is extremely stressful, no matter if it's a, for, for a good reason or a bad reason you're moving, it's still stressful, right? So if that is the case and you're out there and you're doing it yourself, great. I, I, I love seeing the pickup driving down the road with everything hanging out of the back, but then it's raining and I feel very bad for these people, right? But they have to move because closing is tomorrow and the house needs to be prepared for that final walkthrough at 10. That's right. Moving on a budget, you have to think smart about where you want to best spend your money. So we tell people if they just have a couple hundred bucks, they're in that $600, $700 price range of what they're thinking for moving, they can contact us and we can move a set amount of stuff or get even more accomplished because we're going to be a little bit more efficient than they would. So whether it's we're just moving bigger items, um, maybe they have some specialty furniture that has to be disassembled and reassembled, and maybe a hutch, a dining room set, a bedroom set. Maybe we're just moving the bigger stuff for that client. And then they move the boxes in their car. They move the boxes on their own, and and they do a few trips. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, the biggest thing is as long as they're being upfront and honest with what they have, we can be upfront and honest with the price that they're going to get and be within normally about a half hour worth of time just by an over-the-phone estimate, never mind an, uh, getting an in-person estimate. Um, and I always say, and I stress this all the time is just be honest with your movers of what you have to move, um, lately. And I'm going to be honest, we've had a few clients, uh, upset with us about what, um, what our estimate was to what the actual move cost. Mm -hmm. Um, the move took a little bit longer. Um, but luckily due to technology nowadays, our crew has a full inventory list of what was provided to either the person that handled it over the phone mm-hmm. or even at that, our technology. Now the customer can go back in and input what they have. So maybe, you know, you're walking, you're, you're at your office, you're on the phone talking to our office staff. All right. I have a couch, a love seat, coffee table. And then you forget about the two end tables, the entertainment center that your TV is sitting on. You told us about the TV, but then you get that estimate and it's, two to three hours short because you didn't tell us everything. Well, with us, if you tell us, you're going to get honesty and you're really not going to end up saving money because you didn't um, tell exactly what we're up against. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe your job that we quoted was two guys for six hours realistically should have been three men for five hours. Yes, there's a difference in price, but the time and, and I say this all the time is no matter who it is, time is money, whether it's your time, you're making money, whether it's our time, we're charging you money. Um, but as long as you're honest and upfront, we can very well manage it for the crew, the truck size and accomplish the job in a timely manner, as long as we know what's there. And mm-hmm. if, if customers feel as though they're going to get a better price by stretching the truth or not, um, again, telling us everything we're up against the estimate is going to be a little off. And and those are a few things lately that we have dealt with that customers have been uh, a little upset about, but we have still worked with them. We've made sure that they understood, you know, our, our crews, when they're doing the, the um, walkthrough at the beginning of the job, if the inventory is different than what 
they're seeing, mm-hmm. they're going to make that customer aware and say, ma'am, sir, you know, you had 25 boxes on the inventory. You have 50. It's going to take a little bit longer. We're going to do whatever you want. If you don't want us to do that, that's fine. If you want us to do that, great. We're here. We're going to get it done, but it might throw off your estimate. So in order to have an accurate budget for your move, you have to mm-hmm. be honest, whether it's with us, with another company, the only way you're going to get something solid and pretty accurate is by being honest and upfront with what you're, what you need to get accomplished. Um, and, and you, you could go ahead, you could check it out. Sorry, George, we got to nope. get hit a commercial. You can check them out at gmetsmoving.com. Again, that's gmets with a Z moving.com, or you can give them a call at 401-383-6399. Again, 401-383-6399. George Metz Moving and Storage. They are our preferred uh, mover here in Rhode Island. They're fantastic. They can store your goods, they can move them, and they're going to take good care of you. George, thanks for coming on. Always spitting some great knowledge for us. Um, good stuff. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back here on the Despirito Team Real Estate Show with Speaker Joe Shikarchi talking about the housing inventory crisis here in Rhode Island and what the state is looking to do to increase production of new homes. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back here in a moment on the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emilio Desperado, and this is the Desperado Team Real Estate Show, where we're talking about the timely balanced truths here in the Rhode Island real estate market. And, you know, we bring on professionals. We bring on folks that are in the nitty gritty, getting it done. And right now we have a serious housing inventory crisis. So we brought a special guest to come on and speak about what they're doing at the state level to help solve this problem. It is a big problem. So our special guest needs no introduction. Speaker Joe Shikarchi, the architect behind legislation and initiatives shaping the state's housing future. And since being elected as speaker in 2021, Shikarchi has steered Rhode Island through a transformative journey with a laser focus, I must say, on housing issues, and his commitment has reflected in the passage of 30 bills addressing the housing crisis. And I can tell you firsthand, boots on the ground, we do have an issue. I haven't seen housing numbers this low as far as availability since 2020 when COVID hit, okay? We're gonna talk about that in a second. Now, um, I want to delve into the nitty gritty, okay? And I want to talk about how the speaker is planning to navigate the Rhode Island's low inventory challenge. What strategies does he envision to boost housing supply? And how does he anticipate this influencing job creation, which is also important here in the Ocean State uh, as well? So uh, first off, welcome to the program, Speaker Shikarchi. It's my pleasure to join you, Emilio. I always, it's always a good time, and thank you for that very kind introduction. You're welcome, Speaker. It's no easy job, and uh, trying to solve these type of big problems is huge. So thank you for your time as well, too. So, you know, I'm thrilled that you're here. I want to dive into our first question, you know, because our listeners want to know. They write us all the time. They ask us questions of such. There's no better person to answer. Rhode Island faces the lowest inventory that we've seen since the pandemic. I mean, I just pulled the multi-listing service, um, you know, numbers, which show there's only 684 single family homes on the market right now when there should be roughly three to 4,000. So what specific measures 
do you propose to address this and enhance our housing supply in the state? All very sobering, but very true numbers that you quoted. And sadly, that is the case. In addition to what you told me, we are dead last in the country with new housing production, issuance of building permits. We're dead last in the country. And we've been that way for the last two years. So the legislative package that you talked about is, is a bunch of little steps along the way to try to help increase inventory to uh, make it a easier to build and also to unmerge some lots that have been merged. We have a housing crisis, as you see it, as you said, and it affects uh, the whole gamut of the economy from a workforce development, from young people coming out of college, can't afford, never mind, never mind student debt, they can't afford a home. They have to go other parts of the country where there's a bigger supply uh, and better pricing for them. And that's where the companies are going. Companies need employees and they're going where the employees are. And we're pricing our younger generation out of Rhode Island. It's, it, it's troubling to see the future trends. So the General Assembly, with along myself, but along with a lot of other people, it's not just my effort. I appreciate the kind words, but there's a lot of other people in the General Assembly committed to housing. We've passed a series of bills to increase production on every single level of housing. We need more housing at the market level, which is where you, know, you and a lot of your listeners concentrate, but we need more workforce housing, more affordable housing, more low-income housing, and then we have a homeless uh, population crisis that needs to be addressed. So the bills run the whole gamut. Most of the bills, the most important ones, went into effect less than 30 days ago. So you, I think you'll see hopefully some benefits as the year progresses. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges that doesn't get a lot of press is the unmerging. There's a process now for people who have, have small lots that are, are included in the purchase of the homes or next door to them that towns have merged them to control growth. And that was great in the 70s, maybe, and maybe even in the 80s when we had you know, a real estate boom and there was a lot of development going on. We don't have that. There's a lot of restrictions from DEM, from infrastructure, from sewers, uh, uh, water. There's so many things that go into building a house. So hopefully these bills will have a dramatic effect and increase that. We also give density bonus for new construction. We allow somebody, if you're going to build a, a, on a parcel of land that right now currently could have 10 units, we're going to allow them to put 13, 14, 15 units uh, more in addition to that, as long as some of those units are affordable. So we create more inventory. And what the bills do, there's very little public money. This is the unique thing about the bill. And I want to build bills. I want to point out that Maura Healy in Massachusetts, the governor of Massachusetts is proposing a package that's almost identical to what we did in Rhode Island last year. And that usually doesn't happen. Usually it's the other way around. But that's I right. think it's an achievement to what we've recognized as a problem and acted swiftly and quickly on it. But what the bills is, is and destined to do is to create more production, make it easier for people to build. Instead of going to a three hearing process, we now shorten that to two in a lot of cases. The bills are targeted to allow the private sector the uh, builders of Rhode Island to build more homes, people who own homes with some extra land to create an ADU. Now the ADU bill passed the house last year. It's currently uh, gonna pass shortly there at this year and we'll go over to the Senate with a lot more um, push behind the ADUs. And what an ADU is, so you know, so your listeners know is an accessory dwelling unit. That's and what does that, my mouth. Thank yeah, you. What does that mean? I, I can read, read it on your face. What that means is an in-law apartment. If you look around the country, they have had significant positive impact 
with the easing of accessory dwelling units. Some people call them in-laws. Some people call them granny mm -hmm. flats. It is mm -hmm. the number one priority of AARP. And it is also the number one priority of the Working Families Party of Rhode Island, which is working very hard on a bunch of housing initiatives. We need to move the needle on this. This will create an opportunity so people can stay in home, so no one's forced into a nursing home. They can live at home or adjacent to their home or their children's home. It also creates an opportunity for young people who want to have a little bit of independence but can't afford a home. They can convert a garage into an ADU apartment or, mm. or build one on the, in their parents' backyard or side yard. So this has worked around the country. This is not something that would benefit me. I don't have enough land and any property I own to create an ADU, but it, the reality is it will help a lot of people in Rhode Island. So these That's are the right. things we're looking at. And then what I would tell you as a leading realtor in the state of Rhode Island and your listeners who have an interest in real estate is to participate in the process. If you have good ideas, please bring them to the state house. We have two ongoing commissions, the Housing Commission and Land Use Commission. We welcome input from anybody and everybody in Rhode Island. We really have an all-star lineup on these commissions of mm -hmm. uh, developers, builders, housing advocates, land use attorneys, people who are interested in solving the prices, all who are spending hours and hours of work on a volunteer basis. And I want to congratulate them and thank them. But I also invite you and your listeners and all realtors and all people interested, mortgage brokers, planners, anybody who's involved, please participate. Send us your ideas. Come to a hearing. Testify. Email us an idea. This would be a great idea to do. Could you consider doing this? Because we don't have a monopoly on good ideas. and We need to hear the solutions and hopefully implement them. I got to tell you, Speaker, I mean, I do see movement in single family home new construction because as of right now, with 684 single family homes being on the market when this has been recorded, 103 of them are new builds. And I got to tell you, normally I see anywhere from 30 to 50 new builds. So that already is increasing. And then when this legislation goes into effect, has this been passed or is it going to be it's all they're all passed they went into effect there's some communities that are still not have not adapted yet others are in the process but majority have adapted and they're working hard to, to uh streamline the process to make it yeah. easier to build no, new construction homes specifically single family homes hmm? so question for you on those merged lots okay now i basically heard that there was a bill and maybe this is it where as if lots were once buildable Okay, they could have been 10, 20, 50 years ago buildable, that now they are grandfathered in to be buildable again. Is that true, Speaker? Yes, that's the, the uh, short answer, but there's a process to do an evaluation. So you're right. If What that means are there are what they call legal lots of record, record lots. So when these lots were plotted many years ago, some cases 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, they were legal. They could support a single family home back then. And over the years, there were a couple of Supreme Court cases, Redmond, and there were some cities and towns who saw that this was an opportunity where if, if you lived next door, if you owned mm -hmm. it and you had two properties, they combined them. They merged the properties together to prevent a second home. It was mm -hmm. done to control growth. Our school age population was growing. Population was growing. We've been stagnant in population Rhode Island for 30 years. We've been at a million people. We haven't increased our population at all. So they used it to control growth. Great at that time, it worked for them. In the time we're in now, fast forward 30, 40 years 
from that time, there is a significant housing source. We need to unleash those buildable lots again and make them. But I want to point out one thing because I get a lot of pushback from communities who don't understand this. And they think that we're somehow going to hurt the environment or uh, use sewer capacity or, you know, the town would run out of water. There was Little Compton had some criticism of the package saying, we're going to run out of water in our town. Well, it's not true because the housing package, every bill that we passed did not change or affect any of the DEM regulations for wetlands, mm -hmm. for setback requirements, for CRMC requirements, did not uh, relieve any of the infrastructure requirements for water or sewer. So our housing package that we passed um, clearly took those into consideration. If you cannot, if that small lot cannot support its own septic system or is not able to connect to sewer or water for capacity issues or logistic issues, then you don't build a house. Mm -hmm. So we didn't go into the weeds on individual lots. We made it so we kept the regulations, the checks and balances are still in place. And that allows the communities to control both, but also hopefully also gets the signal to them they need to be permitting more of these homes. You know, if every community in Rhode Island, if every community in Rhode Island did 10 homes, that's 390 new homes into the market. That sure. will have a, a significant impact and it will control the pricing of it. So people ask me, we you know we haven't talked about that in the show at the moment, but pricing is through the roof. And, right. I'm, and I'm concerned because I know interest rates are high right now. And I know there's a conventional wisdom thinks they're gonna come down later in this year because it's an election year. That may well be the case, but the reality is when that happens, you're gonna see more of, when the industry is gonna see more of a price increase exactly because now they've got supply on the market. There are a bunch of buyers waiting. As the interest rates come down, they can afford more homes. So that's a that's a concern. And the only way that I have studied this and these committees have studied it, and the only way I believe is to control pricing is to increase inventory. We Speaker. have hmm? oh go ahead. Go ahead. We have a shortage of housing. You talked about right. it at the top of the hour. You listed the number of homes that are on the market, whether we should have 10 times that amount right. in the normal market. The reality, or at least five times that amount, the reality is the only way you increase um, th this problem is to increase supply. That's the answer because the demand seems to be never ending. That's right. I mean, we're holding open houses with 30, 40 people in them. We have homes. I'm talking a two bed home in Pawtucket, small ranch house, 700 square feet, 320, $330,000. I mean, a few years back, you could get a colonial in Coventry with four beds for 320, $330,000. So prices are spiking. You're absolutely right, Speaker. And I do believe bringing inventory in would be key for that. Now, nobody loves trees and the environment more than I do, which is kind of strange to hear as a realtor, but also we love people and people need housing. And there are several lots, there are several places where we can put housing, which could fulfill our need here in Rhode Island. No, and, and, and I understand it's just not also about single family homes. One of the bills is called uh, conversion. And what it allows is, is to take old factories and convert, makes it easier to convert them into uh, single family homes or lofts or condominiums or apartments, whether it's the old Ann and Hope in Cumberland or whether yeah. the old Pateka Memorial Hospital, 
Both of those are more than amply suited for housing, whether it's a mill in West Warwick or, a, or the Pontiac Mills in Warwick. There's ample opportunity. We want to make those easier. And why? Because generally speaking, those big factories, those big hospitals, those big structures, the department stores, they have ample parking. They already have water and sewer connections. They already have the ability to support housing. So cities and towns will still have input in, into those developments, but we'll make it easier. So somebody coming in can look at that and say, gee, this is easier. The biggest impediment to con conversions, at that we call it adaptive reusing, is, is implied. We have a school in Warwick, the Aldrich School, that was recently sold to an out-of-state developer who wants to build 75 units of elderly housing. We've made that process easier for him to do. Mm -hmm. Good. And that population needs it too. That's right. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of folks that can't find the type of housing, the type of affordable housing that they need in their retirement years. So they're moving out of state. You know, we're losing massive amounts of wealth here in Rhode Island to that generation, right? And those are the folks that go out, spend money in our restaurants, our area stores, our local businesses. So um, I agree. We need to increase housing wherever we can. Speaker Sikarchi, thank you so much for coming on the program. I know you did say, I want to leave it with this, that there are two commissions for housing and land commissions. How would somebody um, go about finding out when that meets or how to become part of that? Very good question. RhodeIslandLegislature.com. That's the, uh, the General Assembly, which is a brand new website, by the way, and it's very user friendly. That's where you would go. And that would list all the committee hearings, how to get in contact with them, who the clerks are, who the membership is email addresses, and then we do postings as well. And if you sign up for there, we will email you when the bills are being heard, when the commissions are being meeting. So anyone who's interested, sign up at RhodeIslandLegislature.com. And that is your portal into the Rhode Island General Assembly in many aspects, bill tracking, et cetera, committee hearings, house sessions, all of it's live streamed, all of it's on demand as well, and all of it is live. So we, we have one of the best uh, transparent websites in the country. That's fantastic. Thank you for doing that. Speaker Joe Shikarchi, thank you so much for joining us on the Despirito Team Real Estate Show, and we'll see you around next time. Thank you. Awesome. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with Rhode Island Bloggers' top five events happening here in the Ocean State. We'll be right back here on News Radio 920, 104.7 FM, streaming everywhere, iHeartRadio, WHJJ, the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. All right. We've got on the line with us Jennifer Jaber with riblogger.com. And Jennifer's here to tell us about the top five mid-February events. I can't even believe we're talking mid-February. Are we already past Valentine's Day, Jen? I know. I can't. Well, there's a couple of Valentine's. Actually, there's one Valentine's event in here. And then we have a couple more on the website. But yeah, I mean, it's it's Valentine's. It's like February break. And then we blink and it's suddenly March. It's wild. Absolutely. What's up? What's happening out there? Uh, the Winterfest is at Hotel Providence. Some of these are actually great Valentine's date ideas too, although they're not specific to Valentine's. Um, mm -hmm. But the Winterfest is at Hotel Providence on February 9th, and it starts at 6.30. Um, it's the Izzy Foundation's benefit. Join for a night of wine and spirit tasting, food, casino games with local celebrity and community member dealers. Um, there'll be a DJ, the Izzy Spirits Wall raffles and much more um it's the main foundation for the izzy foundation scholarship program mm -hmm. which supports students who have managed to succeed despite their own or their siblings struggling with pediatric cancer so it's also a great cause to support and a fun night out and a reason to get dressed up friday february 9th is also the mardi gras gala at Rhodes on the patuxet at 7 p.m um aids care ocean state is excited to announce the return of this gala 
Um, it's a Mardi Gras style ball featuring Mardi Gras fair, live music, DJ, light show, dancing, entertainment, and much more. Um, and the historic building will be transformed into a Bourbon Street scene and dressing up is encouraged, but there'll be masks and beads available there if you um, need to add to your attire. Amazing. A very Valentine's brunch will be Saturday, February 10th at the rooftop in Providence, which is an amazing location. I've been a few times. Mm -hmm. um, you can enjoy the enclosed winter area with champagne specials, um, hot brunch items, and live entertainment from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, and there's also romantic table arrangements available from February 10th to the 14th, so you don't have to do all the work. Um, there's a variety of them, but basically it's either like a bottle of champagne, a box of chocolates, rose petals, uh, like a tablecloth. So your table will be all set up, and there's there's different tiers. I think there's three options. And again, that's available from the 10th to the 14th, and you can put that in your reservation. Mm -hmm. uh, Saturday, February 10th is the Harlem Globetrotters World Tour at the Amica Mutual Pavilion um, at 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. Enjoy extreme basketball innovation and all kinds of family fun. See them live as they dribble, spin, slam, and dunk. Um, there'll be pregame, postgame, and during game fun for the fans. And again, it's 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. on February 10th, which I'm like, I, I basketball is okay to me, and uh, I don't could take it or leave it. But I've been to one of these, and it's amazing. It's just so much fun. It's laughing. It's just incredible to watch. It's really good family oh, yeah. fun. I know. I was just writing that down. I think my son would have a blast there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's like just they're so talented too. And then it's also just funny. It's a great time. Last but not least, Sunday, February 11th is the fourth annual Valentine's Chocolate Specialty Market um, at the Tiverton Farmers Market from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The event will have vendors integrating chocolate into their products. Chocolate lovers can enjoy um, various and innovative ways chocolate is used in food, drinks, and, and their products. Um, so come and explore and appreciate chocolate in a whole new way. And again, it's a little bit before Valentine's. So if you're looking to get that perfect chocolate lover's gift on um, that Sunday, February 11th, you might find it there. Wonderful. And you can check it all out at riblogger.com. That's the best place here in Rhode Island to find all of the latest and greatest events. And don't forget to go ahead and post yours as well. Absolutely free. And if you want some extra exposure, if you're a business, feel free to reach out to the folks over at riblogger.com to find out about some special advertising and uh, promotional things you can do on that website. Thank you again, Jennifer, very much. Thank you. Have a great week. You're welcome. You as well. All right. What an awesome show today. I'd like to thank Speaker Sakarchi for coming on, talking about the uh, the inventory crisis here in Rhode Island and what he is looking to do during his time as Speaker of the House, what he has done, what he's looking to do uh, to increase that inventory. Uh, great guest. Also, Paul Salcone, North Point Bank, always a fantastic guest. And uh, Jennifer Jaber with riblogger.com and our friend George Metz, uh, over at GMET's Moving and Storage. Thank you to our producer, Ethan, our station manager, Bill, and uh, most importantly, you, our listeners, each week for coming on with us. If you have any questions for me, 401-359-2338. Again, that's 359-2338. I'm Emilio Despirito, and this is the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. God bless you. We'll see you next week right here on News Radio 920, 1047 FM, and streaming everywhere on iHeartRadio, WHJJ. See you then.